How do? Hey up. I'm JD. And I'm Max. Welcome to Hiking with Howl, a podcast from the outdoors. Each month we're going to go for a walk somewhere in the UK. And we're going to bring you along for the tour. Each episode is accompanied with route information and a map on our website at howlbushcraft.com. So you'll be able to take this walk yourself and listen along in real time as we guide you through some fantastic landscapes. Or you can listen during your morning coffee, commute or wherever you want an immersive, audible experience in nature. If you're joining us for the tour, make sure you have a full map and the skill to read it. This recording is meant to be a supplement for your own hike, so one that acts as a navigation tool. You'll need to find your way on your own. There's also a post on the blog at howlbushcraft.com with tips on what to carry in your backpack, and you're always advised to let someone know where you're going and when you're due to be home. Be sure to take time to ditch the headphones on your hike too and listen to the sounds of the wild. We'll give you cues to know when to pause and start the podcast to get the best of your tour. But equally, if you're listening at home, sit back and enjoy as we take a wander through some of our favourite environments. Think of us as your audio companions to highlight points of interest and generally offer some conversation during sections of your walk. If you're listening at home, enter an immersive experience of nature. Crunching leaves, trickling streams, high winds at times and two friends holding discourse in the outdoors. This month's walk we start here, at the western end of Derwent Reservoir Wall. Stretching north from the wall, Derwent Reservoir extends around 2.5 kilometres to meet Howden Reservoir, which has a matching dam wall. We're going to follow the edge of the reservoirs for around 5 kilometres, and then take a steep ascent out of the valley, leaving the majority of the tourists behind us as we head up to Alport Castles. Standing here though, the dam is around 200 metres wide between the towers, and in high water produces a cascade over the whole length, falling a full 35 metres to the valley floor below. Construction of the wall in front of us began in 1902, and it took 12 years to finish. It overflowed for the first time two years later. The supply of water was almost immediately brought into the main supply for Derbyshire, and for South Yorkshire. They built the reservoirs to provide drinking water for the growing nearby cities, which were struggling with cholera outbreaks during the population booms of the Industrial Revolution. The walls of Derwent and Howdland are boldly neo-Gothic in style, built from a core of concrete and rough-cut five-ton boulders. It's then dressed on the outside with these beautiful gritstone rocks uh, quarried from the nearby Bolehill Quarry. Uh, they were carried to the site here by a specially constructed railway. We'll see the remains of this railway today. Uh, alongside Derwent Reservoir, much of the present-day road that we'll be walking along was initially built on top of the old railway line. When in use, the railway was 11 kilometres long, running from Bamford to Howden to carry tons of stones needed for construction. Well, I reckon that's enough waffle for now, what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. just a bit. Alright, let's get started on the walk, crack out the map, check your bootlaces, and here we go. So, welcome to the first episode of Hiking with Hal. We've just set off from the start point at Derwent Dam and we're walking along the western side of Derwent Reservoir. Uh, Max is here. Hello guys. And uh, yeah, we've just started. So we're doing this in kind of late afternoon in uh, what would you call it? Very late spring, early summer. Yeah, bluebells are still in bloom. Got lovely fresh bracken popping up. And yeah, we're just walking along the um, roadway to start off with. So there's beautiful views of the reservoir here on our right hand side. Nice uh, sun picking up over the hills, lighting up the far side of the valley. Uh, it's a little cooler on our side because we've lost the sun here now. And we've 
got a nice sort of gentle running with this walk, haven't we? Yeah, this is a nice, nice starting walk for people to get into the podcast, I think. Yeah, I mean, we thought with the first one, we wanted an easier walk for ourselves so we can get used to the microphones. And we'd also thought, if you're starting off this podcast and you do want to join us for a, a guided walk, then this might be a nice introduction, nice and easy yeah. to bring the kids along even with this yeah, one. Yeah, it's not too strenuous at all even. I think you've got a little bit of climbing to begin with and then it plateaus out nicely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so do bear with us. Like I say, this is the first one. So there'll be a little bit of rustling of rucksacks and um, clomping of feet while we figure out the levels of the microphones and that sort of thing. I don't know if we can hear I'm not sure. <laughs> we'll find out. Um, yeah, so this walk is... Uh, one of my favourites actually, so Alport Castles, which is where we're going, is one of, I think, the sort of hidden gems of the Peak District here. It's a walk that I think is not too well visited by general tourism, yeah. though a lot of people do know about Alport Castles. Um, but as you were saying, Max, it feels really wild, even though it's very accessible. It always reminds me of a, a, a miniature old managed store, if you're doing the, uh, the old yeah. man. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yep. Well, I remember the first time I went to our Port Castles, I didn't know it was there in particular. I'd yeah. seen it on the maps, but I'd never been there. Um, I'd have been about 14, 15, I guess. Yeah. And we came up to it from the direction that we're going today, so up the hill and over the top. Mm. And that view, when it, you know, it takes you by surprise when you get it there, it just that explodes v. in front of you. That yeah. huge V, the big kind of amphitheatre of cliff, yeah. and then the big tower rocks sticking up in the middle. Definitely. Yeah, it's a beautiful kind of surprise, really, that we've just ruined it for you. Yeah. But something to look forward to. I think it's a geologist dream as well, isn't it, this place? Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk a little bit more yeah, about it specifically when we're up there. But yeah, it's, uh, it is beautiful. Birds are singing. Can you hear it now? song? Yeah. Ooh, lovely. <laughs> the road that we're on now, taking a steady walk. Um, along the road, which is going to be the first initial part, uh, which is going to be about five kilometres. Um, a very, very steady walking along. Not a busy road at all, but there are cars that do go up and down here. Um, good thing is, is it's closed on a weekend. So even though it's going to be busier with people, this section of the road that we're on right now, they block it off at the bottom car park, so you won't find any cars passing you on this section. Um, but after this section, uh, about three kilometres of climbing, which isn't too bad at all, and we're not talking steep either. Um, so it's definitely accessible for everybody. Uh, and the rest after that, once we reach Alport basically, is descent. Yeah, so the tower is really very much the top of our walk, and then, um, and then a, a nice gradual walk down. Uh, yeah, one of the reasons why my children like this walk is the uphill section yeah. is really steep but really short. Definitely. <laughs> so it doesn't take all day. Um, well, we're out with uh, out with Darcy the other day, your daughter, weren't we? We did a very long hike with her. Yeah, she did 20 odd, 20 odd k. <laughs> 20 k. <laughs> Bless her. No, she was really good. Her feet suffered a bit the next day. Aww. She'd got um, she'd got some rubbing between her toes. Aww. But otherwise, absolutely nailed it. How old is she again? Eight years old. Eight years old. 20k, it's not bad, is it? Not, not at all. <laughs> well, right. I know, I was done. I was beaten up. It's a long way. Just looking uh, right now as we're turning a corner, and hopefully you'll have weather like this as well. 
but the sun is just streaming through the larch trees and there's a lovely bench just on our right hand side of the path the sun's probably what 15 minutes off of being below the hill it's a lovely time of the evening to be out around here everything's green and luscious You'll find this first section of the walk then finishes by the huge beech tree with a bench underneath it overlooking Howden Dam, Dam Wall. If you've got nice clear views like we had today, it's absolutely beautiful. Big sort of impressive structure nestled in between all this sort of natural uh, topography nearby. Um, absolutely beautiful view with the towers sticking up from the trees. Absolutely. And even, uh, I'm not too sure what it is, but there used to be a a village, I've forgotten the name of the village, I should know So there were, there were two villages, there was Derwent and Lady Bower village and they got submerged by the waters when they flooded the dams. Some remnants can't you? Yeah, so that what we can see in front of us here between us and Howden Dam Wall, we've got um, remnants of an old railway. So uh, when they were building the water, the dams, they installed a temporary railway to move all the building material oh, up and down nice. the valley and that's what the remains of that are. Oh, of course, so that was the raised up section. That's it, yeah. Nice. Uh, eerie to see it sticking out of the water it is. to say it's only a hundred years old it looks much older we're able to see this right now because the water levels are super low at the minute um, i think they've drained into the next section haven't they in lady bower yeah it looks like it yeah really well you get this like um sort of gradient effect on the sandbars yeah it's lovely uh, it's a great spot for photographs there as well so i think we'll stop as well take some pictures and um for a cup of tea yeah We'll leave you here under this beautiful big beech tree um, with the bench underneath, taking the views of Howden De Reservoir Wall. And we'll catch up with you just a little bit further along the track. The road passes a stream. So if you uh, press play again by the stream, and we'll guide you up the next section of the walk. So we've just passed that stream, we're now on a little bit of an uphill again, um, coming back out towards the views of the reservoir. I love these little like corners on this walk, yeah. just kind of duck in. When we've been out on windier days, it's nice to just kind of have these little recesses to hide in for a bit. It can get quite exposed, can't it, on the, on the water? Yeah. When you're walking on those sections way next to the reservoir. Um, it was um, kicking up yesterday, I know that. Was oh yeah, really windy two days ago and it was um, because the reservoir is so low and you've got the dirt that's exposed at the minute and all the rock yeah and I was watching the wind whip around the corner and it would just take it across the water and just hit me all in the eyes <laughs> it's like a sandstorm brilliant <laughs> so you probably see right next to you as well on the right hand side we've got absolutely beautiful JD's going to correct me if I'm wrong spruce look like spruce to me yeah absolutely massive should we go and have a look at one yeah and they love it this time of year with the green tips on the needles as well, they're gorgeous. Let's see if I can get some of those. There's all kinds of things out, so I'm just walking down to the spruce tree, stepping carefully over a load of ground ivy um, and dog violet as well. It's a beautiful uh, little plant, they look quite similar to each other, but um, dog violet in particular has got this beautiful purple flower and these heart shaped leaves, absolutely gorgeous. And then, yeah. 
we're here in kind of late May, so there's some new growth on this spruce tree. And um, yeah, you can identify a spruce because all the needles are quite spiky and they grow singularly from the twigs. So rather than them growing in pairs like a pine, each, each needle comes off singularly and they're attached by a little wooden peg. So if you look very closely where the needle has joined the tree here, you can see a little wooden peg on each needle that attaches it to the twig. That tells you it's a nice spiky spruce. And there's a whole grove of them on this uphill section on this uh, part of the walk. But really kind of beautiful atmospheric tree because they're quite tall and um, the needles kind of protrude out just from the sort of tips of the trees. They've got this really exaggerated shape and sort of draped down. Um, and like, like Max was saying, it's time of day when the sun's catching it. It's absolutely gorgeous. So a good spot to get to know the spruce tree there if you're walking past. You can get nice and up close, check some of the needles. Have a look at those. They were, um, a lot of this have been introduced as well just because it grows at such a rapid pace and it really Very does. Very yeah. Um, but at the moment, they've been felling a lot around here and they're trying to re-naturalise with rowan and oak and birch, uh, aspen as well, um, which hopefully you'll be able to see at some point on this walk. Yeah, as we round this corner, you might be able to make out the dam wall through the through the trees. We've got quite a lot of lush leafy greenery on there, so it's a little bit obscured from us. But just as we come around this corner, you'll see on the right-hand side, there's a bit of a track that drops down to the water's edge. It's a really beautiful spot for a picnic and it's a little bit further up the reservoir than most people come for a picnic so it's usually find it we usually find it quieter um just by the jutting uh, strips of the old railway coming out of the water there that's one of my favorite places to have a picnic there. Yeah, it's a lovely, isn't it? that's actually where i was um where i sat when i was about six yeah. and uh, the chinook helicopter came oh, over nice. so that's where i was watching it yeah so we were sat on the water's edge I'd have been there, like say about five or six and this huge Chinook helicopter came over the water to the middle of the reservoir and three um, soldiers on the training exercise <laughs> abseiled out of the chopper into the water <laughs> the helicopter took off and came back around and picked them up oh. so they were clearly doing some kind of rescue training or something like that Did they not leg it thinking it was end of the world or something? I mean at, at six years old I just thought it was the most cool, amazing thing I'd ever seen yeah. Reaction <laughs> men coming out of the helicopter that was, Yeah absolutely brilliant but yeah, I always remember that from that specific spot there. That, it's another thing to mention, so if you are here at a, a time, if you're lucky enough, um, I've only been here maybe three times when it's happened, but there is a bomber, isn't there? A Lancaster bomber that comes... Yeah, they sort of commemorate the, the, um, the dam buses, don't they? What's really nice about this walk is we're just walking up to the, uh, the information board, so the... Um, I don't know who it is, actually, that publishes these. I think it's part of the water company, I think. Yeah. But yeah, we're just walking up to one of the information boards that are dotted along this side of the reservoir that tells you about the history. So you can see um, sections of it being built and the temporary village that they put in place um, to accommodate the, the um, what do you call them, the engineers, I suppose? Yeah, in Tin Town. Tin Town. We've got some lovely old... Um photographs that they've given you as well so saying uh, as in you are here um, and looking outward there's a number of, of buildings 
they look like, well, obviously, tin town. They're all made of tin. Cardboard is tin, yeah. Uh, and they've also, look at that, they've even got, so they had brick chimneys. All brick chimneys, and then the rest of the building built out of tin. That's brilliant. <laughs> and I'm presuming that might have been because it was quick to put up, maybe. I yeah, don't know. maybe, yeah. But you can also see part of the bridge on this picture that you will see um, of the ruins in the water we mentioned before. If you look on the picture, yeah, you can actually see the intact railway that comes Maybe. along, yeah, and and the valley that's now underwater. Um, so there's a little stream river flowing down the middle, which is now a complete reservoir. And just faintly on this photo, you can still just see the the dam wall being erected in the background there. I wonder if this became a dam eventually and became Lady Bower Bridge. That is now. This is that railway is that, that railway? we just passed. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Really cool. Good right. to see. That's good, isn't it? Moving on from that information board then, as we come along the road, you'll see on the right-hand side, there are um, a little bit further along, the ruins of an old, I think it was the inn or the pub that they erected in yeah, that temporary so. village. And then on the left, the embankment there is part of that old railway. So the top of that embankment, you can still see some of the rock wall that they built. Um, that's actually that old railway, so you can um, make an imaginary line in your head from those jutting rocks that we saw in the water that come up onto the hillside. It is incredible, isn't it? It's just sort of picture what it would have been like. Amazing. We've got this old section, another ruin. We've got another Here board, we are. information board. So this one's on your right-hand side of the road this time. Ah, uh, that was it, yeah. So this is the Derwent Canteen. Um, so the ruins that are left are actually the cellar, so the building would have been above this and what you can see in front of you is the cellar. And it's basically um, all kind of rough cut stone made into a building, a small rectangular building. It's about, oh, probably about 10 metres across and 5 metres wide, something like that. Yeah. A little smaller perhaps. And at this point it's got loads of ferns and maybe a little bit of invasive um, rhododendron growing out of it as well. But you just sort of see the history really, like on, the on this walk in particular what I like is you get there's a huge section of natural history later on with the castles yeah. but then you've got um, this sort of human history as well and this whole lower landscape that we're in um, is actually a man-made landscape so it would have just been rivers in, in deep valleys and all the kind of water and reservoirs that you can see being man-made, it kind of shows you that sort of influence of how people have managed the water over time. And it just shows you how nature can claim it back. Oh, so in quickly. Years. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The um, the dams are still um, the dams are constantly uh, monitored and looked after by the uh, Derwent Water Company, but it's only been a hundred years since you know Tin Town was here, and yeah. that is you know it could be a ruin hundreds of years old by this that point from the look there, of it you just walk right past it really, yeah it? exactly so it shows you how quickly it does go back to to a natural state it's funny how they they said um three times not twice they had to extend it because of popular demand of the canteen oh yeah so, yeah so <laughs> people clocked on that you could uh get a good feed there yeah get a cheap pint yeah i could do one of those actually I it's that time of day for us isn't it yeah. But yeah do you know why they built the do you know why they built the reservoirs in the first place? No, I've read somewhere, I've forgotten. So, they um, initially built Howden and Derwent reservoirs yeah. um, 
in the early part of the 20th century to provide water for um, for the East Midlands and for South Yorkshire. Mm. Basically, as the sort of industrial revolution was really kind of kicking off, there was a massive demand, not only for um, a massive sort of population boom and, and demand for more water, but also clean water. Yeah. So at that time in history, um, cholera was a huge issue in a lot of larger cities in England. Yeah. Um, so they were looking for a way to basically provide a lot of water, but also very clean water. Um, so that's why they built the Howden and Derwent Reservoir dams um, to provide for that. And um, not that long later, actually about 20 years later, um, the population had risen so much, demand for that water was so high that they had to, they had to build Lady Bower Reservoir after that. I see. So there was initially just the two pond, yeah. um, which would have taken us up this valley that we're, we're walking along now. Yeah. But that whole bottom section that you yeah. drive in on, on the A57, that was all kind of added on about 20 years later. And there's, so that explains, there's, if you ever drive past and uh, snaked past that way, you'll see a beautiful, almost chapel-like building with a blue door. Right. And that was the old school. Oh, right. And that's the, that was the original school building. I could be wrong, but I'll have to back it back up. <laughs> but apparently it was the old uh, school that's still left standing because it's a little bit higher. Oh, okay, and cool. it's on the right-hand side. I've not seen that yet. I'll have to look out for it. Now I've said it, you'll... Yeah, it'll be right it there, won't it? Yeah. It's yeah. gorgeous looking building. It's yeah, like it um, when they when they first flooded the valley, so there was there were original villages in the bottom of the valleys. So yeah. there was Ashupton and um Derwent village mm. um, in the valley bottoms and then as they brought work, the workforce in to build the dams, they kind of made these temporary ones like the, the ones we just passed their yeah. tin town. But the original villages were flooded. So you got hun you know uh, maybe 100, 150 people living in each village um, that were sort of moved on and had to leave their family homes and that sort of yeah. thing to allow for the water. Um, but when they flooded um, the Derwent section, yeah. the church spire was left that above was the water line yeah. as a sort of a monument to the village. But um, it wasn't very long at all, I think it was just a couple of years actually, yeah. that they left it that they then decided to demolish it so they deemed it unsafe. People were swimming out. Well, right? from what I heard, there was a few accounts of people swimming out to the to the um, chapel tower, yeah. climbing inside it and exploring the underwater church. Wow. <laughs> Which, you know, is quite risky. Oh, it sounds cool. I mean, yeah. But um, <laughs> a bit risky. No, would you? Yeah, so they, um, they demolished it. Yeah, they blew it up, didn't they, apparently? Yeah, yeah. But have you seen it when it was really low a couple of years ago and you could see all the, um, yeah. the village ruins left? I behind. remember it attracted... Um, it's just a sea of photographers, weren't there? Oh, there were loads, the yeah. But you could see the, there was a, a huge manor house, yeah. Derwent Manor, um, which was it's just completely ruined. Like, you'd, you'd have a hard time figuring out what was what, but huge, huge manor house down there. Amazing to see. Yeah. And we, we're actually very lucky because where we're taking you today at Alport um, is one of the valleys, I think, that we've discussed um, in flooding. Okay. It never ended up being flooded. Uh, I know Edel Valley as well, which is near here. That was another um, possible. possible location for the reservoirs. Mm, thank God they didn't, or else it would have been lost. Yeah, I'm not sure. Water. I'm not sure what decision process went into that, really. Well, Maybe somebody helpful. listening to this can tell us. <laughs> yeah. But um, mm. but yeah, if you know why, do let us know. But yeah, I'm I'm certainly glad they chose this one yeah. and not the Edel Valley, Absolutely. having worked in there for the last ten years. It's funny because people drive, thousands of people a year drive up and down this road 
and it's, I wonder how many people know it's true history when you look out on the water. Yeah. It's easy to forget, isn't it, when it looks this green and pretty and... Yeah, it is, definitely. So we're coming up in a minute as well. Uh, it's another uh, photographer's kind of hotspot, especially when it hits autumn as well. You'll see lots of famous pictures of this. But there is a bridge uh, to your right across the other side of the reservoir. Um, and when the, hit, the light hits it in autumn with all the colours around it, uh, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, Gorgeous. I mean, you can see from where we are now, they've done some work to create a sort of a false embankment to protect from, I think yeah. it's from erosion, um, as that stream feeds into the reservoir. Um, in fact, on our left, we're just passing part of an old um, building as well, red brick, and with an archway underneath it, which I presume was... Maybe pipe work? Yeah, or? potentially a rerouted stream or something. Yeah. But it's amazing, you know, walking along here, especially when I was younger as a, as a kid, all these sort of ruins sticking out were really kind of vibrant in my in my memory. I sort of, I've still, I still remember the stories we told each other about, you know, that one was where the troll lived and yeah, yeah. the next one along was a, uh, you know, a den that a dragon had been captured underneath <laughs> or something. So you've got all these kind of, yeah, these really sort of prominent features. But this bridge is slowly poking its way around the corner, isn't it? It's nearly there. That's it. So we've, we've been walking now um, for a solid 35 minutes and we're just coming up on Howden Bridge. So a 35 minute pace from Derwent to Howden. Yeah. Um, we've taken a few stops to record sections and things, take some photographs. So it doesn't take very long, this, this section, although the distance is quite far because the grounds you're, you're essentially just walking on a footpath and, and a tarmac sort of side road. Um, it's a, you can get a good amount of pacing straight away. I'm ready for that three kilometre hike up the hill. There she is. That bridge. Yeah, it's gorgeous that bridge, isn't it? It's lovely, really, really nice. I just love like that old, just that like classic arch. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's, yeah. I think photographers love it as well because it's just surrounded by larch and come oh, yeah. autumn that was just just a swathe of orange won't it yeah beautiful just before you catch it in the sunset oh. in autumn yeah it's uh, the whole thing looks like it's just setting on fire so nice this is probably a good thing about the way this is actually facing because it, if you are on Derwent edge especially to right up in the hills you can get such beautiful sunsets uh, when you are up on top yeah, I mean, it's what, 20 minutes drive out from Sheffield? Yeah. Um, and a, a half hour walk up a hill, and you could forget that there's a, a city of half a million people behind you. Definitely. And you just see this kind of, the sort of flat tops of the Peak District um, all rolled out before you. It's one of the benefits of growing up in Sheffield, isn't it? You just got such. Well, I'm from the wild. other side, aren't I? I'm from, well, I'm you're from the other side of the moors, so I'm Sadwa. Yeah, uh, but we don't have that against you. <laughs> the Lancashire and the Yorkshire divide. We get along just. Yeah. Just don't ask us to bake a pie and we'll argue for <laughs> But yeah, I mean, well, even then, though, if you know, if it's Manchester side, it's you've got immediate access to it's, like it's the same. National Park. Yeah. It's so you know, like I'd grow up in the city and have friends and spend their entire lives in the city. Yeah. And not realise that just outside, you know. 
the bus ride out and you've got proper outdoor kind of countryside to be Absolutely. playing in. One of the biggest ecosystems going really into the yeah. moorland. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're doing a lot of work at the minute to renovate all that. Yeah. With the um, conservation efforts on the Spagnum Moss. Definitely. So we're, we're, just, we're just about to walk up to Beavercroft Lodge, which is a, a holiday home. Uh, and there's a beautiful little stream that just trickles down from the left hand side here. Um, and I've oftentimes filled up my water bottle from here using a filter or some sort of sterilising agent. But um, yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. So at this point in the year, we've got uh, some very young foxglove coming up on the left of the stream, uh, mingled in with some golden leaved. Uh, mingled in with some opposite golden leaf saxifrage and then we've got some sheep sorrel coming up as well mm. and there's some more of the dog violet down there but yeah I remember filling up here oh and there's some wood sorrel there we go nice little snack for those of you that don't know wood sorrel I would recommend looking it up and getting very familiar with it it's got oxalic acid in it so if you're particularly prone to kidney stones, you might want to avoid eating too much of it. But for everybody else, it sort of looks like a clover uh, in leaf structure. It's got these three kind of lobe leaves with um, a sort of Granny Smith apple peel yeah, taste. Apple Absolutely beautiful. People say, don't they? Yeah. You might even find some still with the white flower on top, and they might be. Uh, do you know what they remind me of when they closed just before they opened? Go for it. Do you know things in school you used to make with paper you used to uh, oh, yeah. tell your fortune with? Yeah, yeah. They remind me of those. Yeah, I can see clothes. that. Yeah, yeah so they come out with different, uh, with white flowers. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful little, little plant in the bottom. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this valley's a beautiful valley to come cycling around as well, so most of the people you pass on this walk, yeah. on this first section, will be cycling. There's a cycle hire centre down at Fairhomes with the National Park, car park. Yeah. Uh, you can hire bikes. I think it's about a 17 kilometre loop all the way around. Yeah, so you can just stay on the tarmac and go up to the top and then come back, or you can do a loop all the way around both reservoirs. Which on a bike it's sort of two to three hours. Um, walking, I think my, my eight year old got around there in seven hours the last time we yeah. tried it. You gotta be a bit careful sometimes because. People get caught out in the summer where um, you don't realise you're fully committed to it, aren't you? Once you yeah. are around, you're fully committed to the full loop. Yeah. Unless you want to go for a little dip. And it sort of lulls you in as well. Like this first section, you know, it seems pretty sedate. Like the track rod is tarmacked. Yeah. Uh, it leads up to a roundabout. But then jumping off from that roundabout up to the slippery stones uh, and the old pack horse bridge. From there, it's actually pretty remote, pretty wild. It is. And then, mm. yeah, you've got a full-on walk all the way back. Um, and that sun beams down in summer as well, so make sure yeah, you're yeah. always well protected from that. Because yeah. you've got no choice. But otherwise, beautiful walk. Yeah, it is. All right, so we've just made it to the Howden Dam, which is the second dam we'll on this walk. This one, uh, I think it's a little narrower than the last one, isn't it? I'm not too sure. I've always thought of it as being a bit smaller. Maybe it's yeah. just because looking on the map, the reservoir is a bit smaller. But it does look it. They just look a little bit close together, perhaps. But um, yeah, basically, you've got these two kind of castle like turrets either side of a span of um, 
of low wall looking at it from the top side which drops about is it 30 meters maybe a little bit more maybe a little bit more down the other side and in winter when the reservoirs are full you get these full cascades of waterfalls the whole the whole length of it. it's absolutely amazing um but at this point we're looking at it in sort of late afternoon we've got sun on the far side of the valley and then these um i mean looking north like i'm looking now you've got these sort of rounded hills beautiful light you'd think you were kind of i'm on you know on a lock in scotland or something i suppose it's lovely but then you turn around and there's this really dramatic straight lines that just cut in it's absolutely amazing and you sort of see over the tops to the conifers beyond it's absolutely beautiful and there's um the you're probably looking at now as well on the other side of the water but that cliff that you're looking at that goes into the hills kind of zigzags in and out that is howden cliff another really nice walk yeah up into the hills yeah you can get kind of really out of the way there's not that many people go up that one at no. all it's up onto marjorie hill yeah sort of direction is that right marjorie's a bit further along the ridge from there uh yeah if i have to quickly check but i think you're absolutely bang on um yeah yeah just a little bit further on cutgate's not far away the sun's there really nicely setting now and all the what well, well, i think they're all scots pine aren't they over there on the other side close to us uh, i think there's a good amount of scots pine on there yeah. but from memory having been on that side there's also some corsican as well ah, okay. um but yeah the, the majority of what i can see especially going into the yeah cliff there you can see it kissing the red bit at the top can't you yeah Probably. absolutely all right so climbing up that short way from howden dam you can see that behind you still just um spanning the reservoir we'll pass a little outcropping of loose rock which i presume is sort of remnants from the building process um, and there's some beautiful silver birches growing up out of there as well and there's a big grand spruce tree sat right on the corner and at this point you've got this kind of sweeping arc of reservoir coming around you absolutely beautiful sort of oh, almost 360 views really yeah. looking back into the hillside behind you and uh, this big sentinel spruce standing up here in all weather it always gives me a bit of encouragement for the next section when i know there's a, a climb uphill coming especially with a hazy sunset like that I'm absolutely gorgeous right that's worthy of a photograph absolutely so while i stop to take a photo um, i think we'll leave you here by the spruce tree and we'll pick you up at the bottom of this next section where the stream comes in so join us there for the stream and we'll talk to you give you some words of encouragement as we ascend Depart from the reservoirs from and head up to the Alport Castles. Uh, so we've come around the turn here and uh, sort of past the first gate, as it were, over the bridge, and then to the second gate uh, on the left, which brings you to a little kind of footbridge with a load of tubes coming through it, uh, where the water passes through under the footbridge, which I've actually been in in winter. You ever been in winter where you've got a uh, water coming over the top of this bridge? It's been falling so much. 
raging, isn't it? Yeah. It's a little bird saying hello then. Gorgeous. Yeah, we're just passing under a huge great pine tree. So it's probably worth noting as well, once we get to this bit, you'll, you will see signs as well about fires, won't you? Yeah. Yeah, any any fires out in this um, this environment's ridiculous, really. It's so many so at risk for uh, wildfires. This woodland that we're approaching now, absolutely beautiful. Mm. This little meandering stream that cuts through it, and there's all kinds of little nooks and crannies that you can just go and tuck away into and sit for a bit and read a book. And you might be able to hear the stream now as we come over the footbridge. And I think we're gonna we plan to stop here for a bit and maybe uh, have a snack fill up the water bottle uh, yeah, with a water yeah. filter. It's worth pointing out that you want to filter your water on this walk um, because there is so much wildlife out here, so many people, that the water, although it looks pristine, um, quite often will have bugs and things in it that you want to get rid of. So one of the things that we look at on the bushcraft courses that we teach is making water safe to drink, but we'll crack out a water filter, top up our water bottles and head up the hill. But we were just saying before as well, this is off the road now finally and you'll find that most of the people who come here to this area will carry on on that road and will head towards Essendon Stones which is popular but as soon as you head out into this section you just lose everybody and it's lovely if you're all by yourself that's it so we've just come onto a little rocky shelf by the stream I'm gonna get the uh, water filter out and top up my water bottle and um, we'll join you at the bottom of the hill. So you should see the hill going up quite steeply at this point. So we'll meet you at the bottom of there and we'll, uh, we'll chat our way uphill for you. Welcome back. And we are now starting the ascent of this walk. Yeah. It's about three kilometers up this hill. Uh, it starts off really steep but don't get disheartened, it levels out a little bit as you go further up. And you know you know you're on the right track because the bottom of the footpath is marked by this beautiful green metal public footpath sign. Um, public footpath via Alport Castles, Alport and Hayridge Farm to Hope Cross and Edale. So there's a long distance footpath that heads out this way um, which um, you could take. We're gonna we're gonna pick up that path, but drop back down into Derwent Valley instead of going over to Hope Cross. Um, so, yeah, it was a it's a nice sign, that actually, isn't it's it? It's gorgeous. There's a few dotted around like this. So just reading the plaques underneath, they seem to be uh, gifts uh, made and given, don't they, by people? Yeah, that was uh, June 1953 mm. by the Manchester C H A. Um, in appreciation of Harold Wilde. The footpath inspector. Ah, excellent. That's a right job, isn't it? That's not, not a bad what career, is it? What do you do as a job? <laughs> I just walk, walk paths inspect footpaths, yeah. Oh, this will do. <laughs> this will do, it's a path. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but this, that sign marks the start of this ascent, so we'll, uh, we'll head up here together, I think. Yeah. It's quite a steep, uh, steep climb, especially if you've just sauntered along like we have that last section. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll get up to the top here. Beach on one side and what another chestnut, is it? Where are we looking? We've got a beach on the right hand side. Right hand side to it. Uh, what have we got? We've got what looks to be an old ash tree. It's not looking too healthy there. 
uh, and there's some spruce as well, a couple of Scots pine. You can see the Scots pine, they're the, uh, they're the conifers on our left here. And as you get about two thirds of the way up, you see this bark, there's this beautiful sort of rusty orange colour. And typically they're kind of a bit twisty and characterful as they go up. And that's a good way to differentiate the Scots pine from other pines. Absolutely beautiful trees. Yeah, they're almost like um, they look Japanese style almost, don't they? They do, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of yeah, really characterful look. I always remember when you had a we had a brew under on uh, on Glen Affric. Yeah, and um, I, I need to not say that. Bien mehedhoin. You can't say it without a Scottish accent. <laughs> but yeah, there's a grand, grand Scotch pine on on an island in that lock which I wrote an article for in the Bushcraft Journal. Um, yeah, beautiful, big old tree. It's a calf burner. It is. They're pounding it actually, it slow down a bit. Just gonna uh, check me all the levels. Get in Yeah. They're all good. We're about halfway up this first initial steep section. I'm currently eating a chocolate bar as well from that break. <laughs> if you can hear that on the mic. Yeah, this time of year, sort of mid-spring, there's very little in the way of insects around this year, but it's beautifully warm. Got a nice sunset going on up ahead of us. We've probably got two hours of light left, but um, you can come up here in the winter, and it's a real brutal ascent. This one. Um, I've been up here in the snow before, and it's really quite a slog actually to get to the top. I think we chose a nice night for it. I think we have, it's lovely. Yeah, it's been almost nearly a year and a half since I was last up here. Great, yeah. Forgot how lovely it was. Yeah, you really quickly get out of that sort of valley environment and up onto the top. Tell we're getting up because the wind's picked up. Yeah. All right. So we've uh, scaled that first really steep bit, and it's leveling off a bit now into this grove of beech. But uh, sorry, <laughs> leveling off now into this grove of beech trees. You can see up ahead. There's a dry stone wall and a gate leading out into the open heath. So I think. So if you're listening to me puffing my way up this hill, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll let you enjoy this beautiful woodland. So be sure to take your headphones off if you're listening while you're doing this walk. And uh, take, in the, take in the woodland, we'll meet you at that wall.
it should uh, it should by now be in a little bit of a clearing in the canopy and we'll be coming up to a little gate and a sign which will uh, mark the next part of the walk. So we'll see the you there. pasture which leads us out onto the open moor. It does and there's some nice, uh, there's also a sign to take note of it of what animals you'll be seeing up there as well. It's always good to know. And you'll probably hear JD closing that gate which is super important when you're up around here keeping farmers uh, flocks of sheep in the fields which uh, always helps the agreement doesn't it between walker and farmer yep countryside code and all that absolutely which many people fought for fought for long ago oh yeah right we might be able up. to see a bit of kinder scout actually once we get to the top yeah hopefully oh we definitely will yes won't we Yeah, now. Coming out of that woodland, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Out into the open heat. Yeah. You'll find once you get past this initial sort of steeper section straight out of the trees, turn around, there's a beautiful view. But you've got to walk a little bit further for it, yeah. So make your way up this nice open footpath now to the top really kind of expansive landscape so take your time to look behind you absolutely beautiful this kind of rolling hillside down into Derwent Valley and you can see Howden Reservoir behind and we'll uh, we'll catch up with you at the top so you're gonna stick on this path all the way up and um, if you've got your map with you obviously it's a good idea to keep a thumb on that but otherwise we'll get to the top here and we'll meet you at the spectacular views Alport Castle. So join us by the cliffside. We'll speak to you soon. spectacular view as you approach the edge of the cliff is a unique rock feature known as Alport Castles. The whole tumultuous area below is formed from an ancient landslide as the rocky valley side fell into the valley, leaving the castle tower standing away from the cliff. 300 million years ago the whole area of the peaks was part of a river delta that flowed into the sea. The river deposited sediment at the mouth of the river um, as it extended into the ocean. The deposits laid down with the finest material travelling furthest and was deposited in the ocean as black shale. Further deposits accumulated on the slopes of the ocean and collapsed. Further turbide flows eroded into previous ones, resulting in the types of deposits you can see here at Alport Castles. As the mouth of the river moved out into the sea, the deposits became coarser. In the Peak District, this coarse material is the gritstone that caps the high points, protecting them from erosion. Because of this unstable formation, the cliffs aren't suitable for climbing, but that has meant that the site here is an ideal nesting ground for ravens and peregrine falcons. Below you can see Alport Castle Farm. Uh, it was home to a suffragette called Hannah Mitchell. Uh, she was a, sort of a true working class hero. Uh, she fought for her equal rights in the lead up to World War II uh, and became a member of the Labour Party. 
While we enjoy the views, we'll leave you for a bit. We'll come back as we fire up the jet boil, get ourselves a coffee, and check out the map to see what we can see from this awesome vantage point. So you join us up here at the top of Alport Castle as well done for getting up that hill. Good little pull up there on the calves. We've uh, we've ducked down now behind uh, the dry stone wall that's just at the top there and uh, we're cracking the jet boil out to have a drink whilst we're at the top. Get a quick uh, coffee on the go. Um, but I hope you've taken in the views of Alport Castles and the tower from here. And Hopefully you're as equally as impressed with it as we are. Absolutely huge uh, landslip. So they reckon this is the oldest uh, landslip in the UK, uh, going back millions of years, um, back to when most of the Peak District was a tropical sea. And, um, and yeah, so the tower that you can see in the middle there, this huge jut of rock which uh, gets its name from sort of looking like an old Mott and Bailey castle uh, right in the middle of the... Remember we described it as that Mott and Bailey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a kind of really, really traditional sort of uh, yeah, castle structure. But um, it's just a big tower of rock, really. But uh, absolutely unbelievable. Like coming up here for the first time, not knowing it's here, it really sort of takes your breath away. It's a big cascade of falling rock. Leading down into a beautiful valley uh, with a, a small stream trickling through the middle of it, and then the view is over the other side of Kinder Scout. With its deep scars. Yeah. Yeah. So and the farm down below as well. I'll put farm, you'll see. That's it. That's right. Well, you're getting the jet boil out. I'm going to get the map out. some compass bearings off on some features. Why are you doing the coffee? That's our jet bio just about boiled, is it Max? I think so. Definitely hot enough for a drink, I know that. There we go. So we'll cut that off now and uh, pour ourselves a hot drink and we'll uh, we'll cut back in and uh, highlight some of the things that we can see with some compass bearings out here on the top of Alport Castle. So looking on the map here, if you crack your compass out and take a bearing, pretty much exactly south of our position, um, up here by the dry stone wall at Birchin Hat on your map, directly south you should be able to see Crookstone Knoll on the very bottom, uh, sort of easterly corner of Kinder Scout. And panning on the skyline to the right of that, you can see uh, just poking up there, Mad Woman's Stones up on the tops. And then, what else can we see there? Blackton Moor is a sort of hillside we're looking at over the other side of the big conifers, um, going out into the horizon. 
and then all the way all the way out to seal edge um, which takes you sort of all the way to the other side of kinder scout really so you can get a really good view pretty much of the entire northern edge of kinder scout and at this time of day as we're up here in kind of very late afternoon early evening it's not a soul in sight not a breath of wind actually either is it so still drop down absolutely beautiful occasional bleat of the sheep in the background. Yeah, I think it was worth noting that uh, was it if you're lucky enough quite a few kestrels nest in the side of the crags on kestrels, the street there's, some, there's falcons in the peak districts as well. Yeah. Um I I believe there are, there have been falcons on the on our podcast before. I can see in front of me a shooting cabin. I was gonna mention that to you. I'm just taking the bearing with my compass just now. Let's get that dialed in for you. Spin the plate, put the red in the shade, all that jazz. Yes. So from where I'm sat, with my back to the dry stone wall, the bearing is whoa, 171 degrees. If you take 171 in your compass, you can see a dark scar going up the hill from a a, uh, a farm building. And it looks like a big, nice countryside cottage farm uh, going up towards those mad woman stones that you looked at on the map uh, about halfway up the hillside there's a horizontal um, it looks like possibly uh, an old boundary wall from from history that's long since disappeared but you can still see the scar on the hill and just there there's a shooting cabin tucked into the corner uh, which was the jubilee lodge is that what it was called when we were there i think so yeah yeah um, beautiful stone you know really kind of durable building nestled right deeply into this little scar um which they keep locked so it's a private uh a private lodge for shooting i suppose on a hill um but yeah really beautiful building it'd be nice if that was a if that was a bothy really. apparently you get a lot of people Do heading you? up there because ah, okay. it, it does look like a lovely well, building yeah, yeah. doesn't it yeah on the map it's it's quite obvious as well from what we saw wasn't it yeah. um but yeah, I suppose it get it is quite uh, not too far from the roads, is it? That one, I suppose. Have we got a uh, blue cell poking out? Yeah. So yeah, if um, we're looking what directly south again, it's pretty much exactly south, to be honest. Yeah. And you've got the sort of bottom corner of Kinder Scout we were looking at, which was that Crookstone Knoll, and then on the far side of that, you can see Loose Hill poking up, uh, which marks your way towards uh, towards Edale and Castleton. The mighty man. And yeah, that's on the yeah the Loose Hill to Mamtor Ridge. It's quite a famous route in the Peak District. Really popular walk. You got your mug, mate. I'll pour you a coffee. Excellent. That sounds like a good chance to take a break. Then <laughs> um, we're going to have a pit stop now. Then I reckon we'll have some food, uh, have a coffee, and um, when you're ready to set off, to put this. Should we should we get them to turn us back on when we set off? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. And we'll continue the walk with you guys. Excellent. All right. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll have a pit stop. We'll let you enjoy the views. And when you're ready to set off, we'll jump back in and we'll walk a little way along the tops there with you. Um. All right. Catch you in a bit. We've had a bit to drink now. We've had something to eat, so we're going to head off along that uh, southerly bearing. 
um, on Birchin Hat, keeping our port on our right for a little bit. We are, like I say, walking that, walking this uh, in the sort of late afternoon, early evening, and there's a beautiful moon uh, up in the sky, just above the sunset at this time of year. It's just the faintest slither of crescent moon so above nice. an orange and blue sky. Absolutely gorgeous. Proper and, peak uh, district day. Yeah, it's gorgeous. You see all the valleys are darkening in the bottoms, but up here we've still got plenty of light. So we're going to head on away. Um, so join us for this little bit. We're walking along the top of uh, Heathland now. And uh, this bit of the path initially is uh, just kind of worn, worn peat uh, and grass, but it quickly turns into a flagged um, footpath, which I think the National Trust and a couple of other organisations uh, were involved in laying a really good kind of solid flagstone path yeah. to help with erosion and look after the uh, the peat moorland up here. So the, the peat moors and bogs of the peat district are um, really quite a special environment, aren't they, actually? People see a barren wasteland, don't they? But there's, there's so much going on here. It's like it's a lot of um, what is it? symbiotic relationships, isn't there, between like plants and the animals? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's a huge carbon sink as well, isn't it? All the peat. Absolutely, yeah. I got told, I'd, I'd love to hear uh, if anybody knows this for definite, but I heard that Kinder Scout, which we can see on our right hand side now, was um, unique in the world for its structure of uh, peat bog atop a uh, gritstone uh, bed. Ah, okay. Which I, I heard from uh, a mountaineer up there once. I'd love to know whether that's true or not. Because it really is, I mean, if you've been up on Kinder Scout, it's really unique environment to find yourself in. It's kind of bleak but beautiful, yeah. uh, a labyrinth of um, six feet deep gullies yeah. and a thousand tributaries all leading to Kinder Downfall. Many, many people get lost <laughs> every year. year, every day. Yeah, every day. <laughs> I think there's, I'm sure, I don't know, it can't be right, but if there was more rescues uh, from the mountain rescue here, picking people up than there is on Snowden. Oh, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yep. Because it's so, you, you can get onto it so quickly yeah. from Edale Village, you know, it's an hour and a half and you're on Kinder Scout. And, um, yeah, it's, it seems so, it seems kind of like, I don't know. It's like the People's Mountain, isn't it? Because it, I think it, it's just, its tallest point is just over 600. Yeah, but the surrounding plateau is only, you know, a, a few metres below that's that it. anyway. That's it. I've, and, been, uh, I've been lost up there once, so we were first learning to navigate. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think everybody has at one point. <laughs> oh, God, it was a scary, scary uh, thing, actually. There's just no visibility, raining, cold. Yeah, yeah. Completely lost my way. I've been chased off before by a, a, oh, a snow front coming in. Oh, God. I could see this, like, vertical wall of snow just <laughs> moving in across the plateau. Oh and I was like racing off it <laughs> uh, as it came in. It sort of dropped on me just as I was coming down the valley. Yeah. But yeah, as soon as it hit, visibility was zero. As we make our way down this this gritted track, you can see on the right hand side this beautiful sort of undulative landscape. A really dramatic drop off initially of uh, maybe maybe thirty meters or so, 
but it but immediately then comes right back up almost to our level and um, it's just this kind of tiered grass covered um, gritstone with just two rocks jutting out of it everywhere there's just there's where you'll see now there's just no other place like it is during the peaks no, there's just no, no it's, other it's place. unique in the peak district for sure but it's one of the reasons why I love coming up here because it's although it's well walked this path yeah it's it's by far and away one of the quieter corners of the peak district Absolutely. Um, I think because people tend to migrate towards Kinder Scout yeah. or towards the Derwent and Housen Reservoirs as a circuit this sort of because it's sat in the middle yeah unless you're sort of using it as a through route to somewhere it, it hardly ever gets walked i find anyway Not at all. you can tell can't you yeah i mean the paths are well walked for sure it's clearly a lot of people come up here but in comparison to some other places not so much no and it's nice to picture as well whilst you're walking along this bit um you can kind of really see where all the sediment used to be can't you yeah. And um, what it's left behind in all the gaps, like if you've pictured all that sediment filling the gaps. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. And yeah, then yeah. it's just gone and left this landscape. It's just amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Tumultuous, I think, would be the word you could yeah. you could describe that as. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's gorgeous. I, I want to get in and explore. It looks like. Well, that's it. I mean, as, as kids, it's such a good playground. Like, yeah. you know, within what? 100 square meters yeah there's probably 15 little tiny valleys oh right right good game of yeah. ride and see yeah yeah and you can just run between them all oh. and um yeah we're passing all that on our right hand side on the left there's this huge expanse of just the 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 valley that we can't see between us and the hills where derwent and howden lie um we can just see the sort of rise on our immediate left hand side and then beyond that uh, hillsides out towards um, Derwent Edge and just coming around the corner now this is the view that the view so you've got the kind of big grand view of uh, the tops of Alport Castles and the tower but this second view that you'll see coming down here really I mean, it's worth stopping and getting the camera out for sure. I think we've got to wedge down a bit as well. Yeah, we? you sort of really cut down just that. a wee bit, but you can see the tower nestled between a really steep valley, just a perfect V. That. With, for us, <laughs> this time of the evening, yeah. I'll take a photo and post it on the, uh, on the webpage. I'll actually get my, my camera out for this one. It's nice and like I reckon that's the first day of the crescent moon actually I reckon. It's tiny From what I can see. You've got Venus on the right hand side of it now as well. It's so bright. We saw, someone mentioned that the other day. It's that time of year isn't it? Yeah. Alright so we'll, we'll leave Alport Castles behind us now and we'll head off on this southerly bearing uh, along, the, along the edge of the ridge here on this footpath and uh, head back towards the cars I guess we've got um, a few kilometres left to go still 
obviously but it's all relatively sort of undulatively flat if that's a term i've made it up we'll undulatively it. flat <laughs> um, there's one every podcast <laughs> speaking of podcasts though matt pycroft was really gracious actually in giving us some advice on setting up our own attempt at doing this sort of thing um, so if you've not heard the adventure podcast terra incognita with matt pycroft absolutely beautiful series of interviews with all kinds of outdoorsy people from people like aldo kane a professional action man i think he calls himself yeah to um to somebody like megan hine megan hine that was yeah a, good one. a really good um discussions on kind of uh, yeah, er, er, everything, too. everything outside, really. But yeah, that podcast, uh, highly recommend. And thanks to Matt for kind of giving us some advice on setting up. And as we head out now into this smooth, rolling hillside, Kinder Scout on our right, going dark now in the in the end of the day, and Derwent Valley on our left. We'll leave you here amongst the cotton grass and the heath, and we'll catch back up with you. Um, let's say when the flagstones of the path kick in. So I'm not quite sure how far that is ahead of us. Maybe a kilometre by now. Andrea in the wall. Yeah. The moment, yeah. Good on you, Max. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up with you as that flagstone path kicks in. Um, just take it easy. Enjoy the countryside. just joined the flagstone path now uh, accompanied by the curlew in the background absolutely beautiful sound gorgeous one of my favorite birds probably nesting at this time of year now aren't they yep it's um the the stones that we're walking on now as well a lot of them uh, like jd said were put in um, who are they putting by? They're putting I think by the National by, Trust. By the National Trust in partnership with a few yeah. sponsors and organisations and things. So a lot of them, where they get them from, are uh, from like industrial, old industrial units that they recycle them from. Uh, do you know, like the old floorings from the old mills? Oh yeah. And they recycle them and helicopter them in and drop them up here. That's brilliant. Yeah, I've seen them helicoptering in before. That's quite, quite good to see. Yeah. It's nice to know that they're recycled from. Like the history's not gone to waste of old mills. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know that. Yeah. And yeah, it just helps with the erosion. It gets so much footfall over these tracks that the paths tend to get really deep and then really wide. And it leaves these huge dirty scars on the hills. So paths like these are absolutely fantastic for keeping that erosion down. And knowing where you're going. And knowing where you're going. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They can get a little dicey in, in wet, cold weather and get some ice forming on them. Yeah. So I tend to bring a little set of those uh, 
rubber spikes for your boots. Yeah. If I know I'm going to be walking on this sort of thing when it's Good when idea. it's frozen, you just pop them on for this. It saves you having to then walk in the in the peat and the bog. You can stay on the path. You know you've got good grip. On to our right, uh, it's the site of the mass trespass of 1932, where about 400 people, organised into groups, climbed up onto what was private land at the time to protest the lack of public access to the countryside. The trespass acted as a catalyst for discussions and eventually led to the National Parks legislation in 1949 and the Rights of Way Act in the 2000s. It's basically considered the site where people fought for the right to walk freely in the countryside and inspired thousands to demonstrate in the years that followed. It's the reason we're able to take this walk here today. It's really beautiful if you're on this other side. We've got big kind of grand views of the Peak District here. You can sort of see quite big distances just straight in front of us. We can see uh, immediately in front there's that bottom edge of Kinderscout again and then beyond we're getting an increasing view of Lewes Hill and actually now just peeking around the corner we've got Wind Hill coming up as well I think and um, yeah it's just a really nice path for sort of big views you can get quite sort of in the valleys and in walking alongside the reservoirs it's beautiful and it's quite sort of close at hand you sort of feel like the landscape's right there next to you but up here you get these sort of big expansive views and if you're you know sort of stuck in a stuck in a city for a lot of your working life where everything's sort of in the in the near hand field of view it's great to come up to some somewhere like this and get some perspective sort of see the world a little bit larger it makes you feel a little bit smaller within it i think it's quite a, a grounding and humbling experience. It's part of the reason why I think hill walking more than anything else gives you that kind of grander sense of scale to things. I think that's it in terms of, you say walking there's something, it's just simple and it's slow and it's, I think it's humbling into it. Yeah. You know, it's hard work to get short distances never mind long distances but you see more don't you along your way definitely I mean it's everything like you've got the fact that you're sort of using you know a lot of your physicality to get anywhere you're sort of using the muscles of your legs and your arms your back to peregrinate yourself across the landscape and like you say every, every footstep's small but they all add up sort of form well I suppose any journey really is formed from the collection of its smaller parts exactly it's nice uh, I watched a video the other day um, this little outdoor segment film yeah um, but this guy arrived uh, on a walk at a stone circle okay and he just said it I think he said it beautifully it was something like um, he arrived there uh, 5,000 years after it was built but yet felt 5,000 years closer to it because he'd walked there on foot yeah for sure man um, I like that a lot yeah just really humbling like those people walked there to this point just as you did now 
sort of ties you ties you back to our ancestors walking across the same tracks yeah connects you with the same landscape they were connected with Following us, isn't it? Yeah. And we're looking at now, if you look in the Hope Valley, we can see the big cement factory. Yeah. Shining bright red. Ooh, hair straight in front of us. Oh, oh it's just on the left. Within touching distance. Hello. He's joined us on the path. Oh. Beautiful. Lovely. Just hopping along, little it's white tail flicking up. He's just sat there. <laughs> He's a very friendly hair. He is. Another good thing about walking, animals seem to accept you a little bit more, don't they? Yeah, for sure. It's interesting that that cement badger, I think it can look pretty, uh, pretty beautiful on like a bleak winter's day. Oh yeah. When the smoke's coming out and joining in with the clouds above it. Yeah, yeah. Could, uh, it, well, it adds to it. When I were a kid, my I remember my dad telling me that it was a cloud factory. Oh really? <laughs> and it made clouds, and you know, it was like a two-year-old or, or however old I was. It that that stuck with me that, and I thought, oh yeah. <laughs> oh. So yeah, it's all about how you frame it, I suppose. That's weird how I said that then, and it looked <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like anything. It, it tends to be quite a myopic species. People, it's short-sighted in that sense of like thinking about things in the immediate hand yeah but you think you know 300 years time it'll be gone yeah and it, you know it'd be like it was never there that's it that's exactly it isn't it just the ruins we were talking about down in the valley town. yeah yeah i mean it's only been a 100 years since them dams were built yeah and um they look so eternal sat in that valley yeah and yet, you know, if they weren't maintaining them constantly, I don't know how long they'd stand up on their own, but eventually they'd collapse on their own and the valley'd return to what, you know, what it was like before. Yeah, exactly. It's quite um, good to mention as well, if, if you, we're not actually far away from the, the boundary where um, it goes from like millstone grit, doesn't it, into uh, limestone. Yeah not far away at all yeah that um dark peak and white peak yeah boundary as you get into dovedale and that sort of area the white peak's sort of different again isn't it it's more i always tend to think of the white peak as like the shire yeah. in lord of the rings yeah it's kind of like beautiful and sort of uh i don't know the words really quaint quaint yeah that's yeah. the one yeah yeah Whereas I think the peaks, is, the dark peaks, a bit more bleak and barren. Yeah, barren and rugged. Yeah. But if you're if you're into if you're into dry stone walls. Oh mate. Yeah, the, uh, the white peak is the place to go. <laughs> if you want to see a dry stone wall. Oh, like a proper dry <laughs> stone wall. <laughs> yeah, you can't do better. Nope. There's lovely villages, well, because of the limestone. Um, yeah, all the houses are built out of it, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, and the, the brooks and the rivers we get are just crystal clear because it's passing through the limestone that's not been affected by the grit. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the, the peak, sorry. Yeah. So it's not brown, it's just crystal clear white. Beautiful. 
looking up ahead of us now we're coming up on um, a little bit of a rounded hill where this path takes us over towards Hag Farm and the descent back down to the cars then so um, well again we'll uh, we'll fade out now and leave you to walk the rest of this hillside without us rambling on at you and um, we'll pick you back up at the uh, at the fence and the gate as you join the uh, the Hag Farm woods that take you back down to the uh, take you back down to the car. So we'll we'll catch up with you at the gate at the end of this footpath here. You find us at the gate. We just dropped down off the hill past the uh, National Trust sign. Thought you were closing that on me then. No, no, no. Never close a gate on a friend. It's got a good spring on it, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. So you'll notice on the back side of that gate is the open access sign. So on this side of it, um, it's good and proper to stay to the footpaths. But uh, on the other side, it's open access land. So you're kind of welcome to go anywhere, but encouraged to stay on the paths to uh, minimise erosion and generally look after them more. And to be honest, that footpath is about the best route on there. You yeah, wouldn't want to go anywhere else. And uh, so what we've got now is a good plantation on the left of spruce trees. Which smells incredible. Which, yeah, absolutely smells brilliant in the uh, in the evening. And uh, we've got a dry stone wall on our right. And um, we're just going to continue down a bit further now to the edge of this plantation where we meet a really good series of tracks that basically come over from a place called Hag Farm, which is, um, it's an outdoor centre, right? It is, it's um, got a very, very creepy climbing wall in the middle of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember that, yeah, we went there as kids for really an orienteering creepy. day. Yeah. yeah, I remember they'd got some bushcraft shelters built, Yeah. which were actually, I see a lot of bushcraft shelters, and from, from what I remember, they were really good actually. Nice. They were enclosed leaf huts. So like the um, like the open leaf huts that we build yeah. on our itinerant course, they'd close them in um, so that they'd got they just got a little opening. Yeah, so making our way across this um, little sort of high pasture, I suppose, between the plantation and the wall, uh, it drops down to a good stand of pine trees. I think mm. um, it's getting a little difficult for us to tell, actually, isn't it, in the dark? It is. It's sort of growing evening dark now. And the hills in front of us, because of the light, look way bigger. Yeah, it's funny when you start to lose the light, everything kind of looms and gets a bit ominous. Yeah. But um, we've come well prepared, we've got head torches and all that sort of thing. Well, I think we've got Wynn Hill in front of us, haven't we? Well, yeah. I think Wynn Hill is, we've that's Loose Hill on our right, Yeah. leading up to actually, you can see Mam now as well over there, look. Just sticking in out. In the peak. But uh, directly in front of us, I'm pretty sure Wind Hill is obscured by um, that hillside that I forgot the name of. Um, that's the one with the cool kind of rocky outcrop on top, um, this one in front of us. Ah. And then beyond, Lou's Hill's kind of just the other side it of that. Is. I can never remember the name of this hill. No. It's always in but between. But it, it's a really everything. nice hill, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I've been up there a few times. And we're coming up to another gate and a ladder over. I'm going to take the ladder, I think. Yeah. I, the smell right now is absolutely amazing. <laughs> All the spruces and pines oh, yeah, coming up out of the valley.
the ladder. All right, so we're going to head up to the tree line now, um, across the main track. And you'll need to do a little bit of navigation with your map. Uh, there is a track through the woods that will take us back to um, to the road up to Fairhomes and to the dam walls where we started at the Derwent Reservoir Dam. So do get your map out if you're walking along with us. Make sure you're on the right track. But essentially, anything down towards the left will take you down towards Derwent Valley down towards the right towards uh, Lewes Hill and uh, Kinder Scout that we've kept on our right this whole time dropping down that way will take you down past Hag Farm and onto the Snake Pass um, so you want to kind of go left at this point but you've got your maps you've got your compasses so do take a second to make sure you're on the, the right track and follow us into this woodland path fence and a marker to Fairhomes taking you into the woods which kind of marks the top of this footpath but it's always worth checking on the map just to make sure you're orientated properly um, so you don't wind off going on the wrong route into this woodland but it's absolutely beautiful a little it's bit of forest yeah. all kinds of um, naturalized flora on the on the woodland floor and uh, Beautiful pines all standing up around us. At this point for us, we're now into the evening and the light is gone. pretty much gone. I think we'll we'll take a pause here to get our head torches on. Big cells, few roots around them. Our descriptions of trees will be limited to silhouette. <laughs> that long one. That that tall one. As we walk through the forest, that's going to drop us down to the road that leads into Derwent, and we'll pick that up to take us to the cars. I always keep my head torch in the top pocket of my rucksack, because I can get it to hand when I need it. And I suppose that, that highlights the point of always carrying a head torch, really. We didn't intend to be out into this late in the dark, but recording the podcast, one thing and another, just delayed us by half an hour yep. we just lost that last little bit of light and it would be really easy now to not have a head torch and get lost um, or at the very least make everything much much more slower and uh, much much slower and more dangerous so I, we would always recommend you carry a head torch you never know when you're going to get caught out here at all no, no, exactly. I think we've just proved the same for uh, hat and gloves as well. Yeah. I didn't think I'd need them, but I'm glad I packed them. Yeah, up on the top in particular, coming down past, um, from the castles, that stretch was much more exposed to the wind than the rest of the walk. Yeah. Much colder. Having a, a good, just a, a light windproof jacket today. Um, did everything we needed it to, but if it had been raining, it'd be good to have the waterproofs on. Good blanket of uh, 
brambles all around. Some ferns growing in there as well. Beautiful old ruined dry stone walls in this woods, interspersed in the pines. So dropping down to a really tight section of spruces, I think now. Oh, very prickly. Oh, oh, nice and spiky. I poked one with my finger. There's uh, spruces either side and the little way markers on the wooden posts guiding us down. And what we're, what we're looking for on this track is a, uh, a hairpin turn to the left, which is a bit further along. So do keep a finger on your map if you're following along with us. It's, um, it's easy to walk past. You've not got too far wrong. You'll just uh, save yourself a few hundred metres of backtracking along the road. Some larches on the left as well as the spruce and for me at this point in the evening I'm resorting to identifying these by feel <laughs> rather than sight but um, and silhouette we've got some birches as well the little silver and downy birches it's quite a young plantation this I guess it's only maybe 15 20 years planted so really kind of tight dense small trees there's a lot of moisture still trapped down here, isn't there? Yeah, there's a lot of condensation on all those leaves. You can smell it, you can feel the temperature change, can't you? Yeah. Now, now we're deep in the woods, you get that real kind of rich smell of the, the undergrowth and the trees all giving out the scents, especially in the evening. I think a lot of them give out the scents at that time of night. As we make our way along this wooded footpath then, I think we'll leave you for this episode of Hiking with Hal. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed listening to us as you've taken part in this walk, or even if you've just been listening along at home or on the commute to work. We'll um, hopefully be doing a continual series of these. So if you've got any comments, any suggestions you think that might improve the next episode, do feel free to get in touch, let us know. Um, you can contact us through the website, howbushcraft.com. I'll just leave a comment on the blog page of this episode. From me guys, I hope you've enjoyed it as well today. I've had a great time uh, learning how to actually do this, uh, this podcast malarkey. Uh, but hopefully we do get more well practiced at it and it'd be great to have you on the next one as well. Uh, but yeah, from me, I'll see you on the next hike. All right, so this has been Hiking with Howl episode one. I've been JD. I've been Max. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you very much. We'll see you later, guys. Thanks for listening. The podcast is hosted by Jamie Dakota and Max Barnes. Music is created by Stephen Goodwin. For more information about our courses, podcasts, articles and more, go to howbushcraft.com.